So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, king of Hishbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will go only on the road. I will turn aside neither to the right or to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. As the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites in Ar did for me. He said, listen, you you have a track record until I go over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now notice, he asked for favor. He said, I want to pass through your land. He said, we will pay for anything that we use. And he said, we have a track record. Now, this is one of the little keys of negotiation that you need to learn. When you're negotiating with people, they need to see that you have a track record. Whether it's negotiating for a house that you're going to buy, a bank loan or whatever, they always need to see a track record. So when you, 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 you come to people and you want to negotiate, you say, okay, now this is what I will do. This is what I am asking. This is a little truth of negotiation. This is what I'm asking. This is what I am promising. This is my commitment. And this is my track record. Good negotiations always have all three of those in it. Your ask, your promise, your commitment. Okay, your commitment and your track record. Three keys to every negotiation. But Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might give him into your hand as he is this day. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have begun to give Shehan and his land over to you. Begin to take possession. Now notice, I have begun, begin, that you may occupy his land. Now I want you to notice there is a start. To every promise. Now, many Christians don't understand this. When God makes you a promise, you expect it all right now. It's not all right now. There is a starting point. God said, I've begun to do this for you. God said, begin to take possession. There's a beginning. You have to understand there are there is a process to promises. Okay, there is a process to promises. And many Christians don't get that, and then they get discouraged with God. They don't understand there's a process to promises. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Jahaz. And the Lord our God gave him over to us, and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. And we captured all his cities at that time, and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. Only the livestock we took a spoil to ourselves, and the plunder of the cities that we captured. From Arar, which is at the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley, as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. The Lord our God gave all into our hands. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near. Okay, the sons of Ammon. That is, to all the banks of the river Jabbok, and the cities of the hill country, Whatever the Lord our God had forbidden us. Now notice he forbid them when it came to the Moabites, which would be the land of Ammon, and Esau. Okay, There are lands that God had given 
to the sons of Lot and land that God had given to Esau. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all of his people, to the battle at Edre. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So the Lord our God gave into our hand Og, also the king of Bashan, and all his people, and we struck him down until there was no survivor left. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city that we did not take from him. Sixty cities, the whole region of Argob, the king of Og, kingdom of Og in Bashan. All these were cities fortified with high walls, gates, and bars. Besides, there many, very many, unwalled villages. And we devoted them to destruction, as we did the Sihon, king of Heshbon, devoting to destruction every city, men, women, and children, but all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as our plunder. So we took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond Jordan and from the valley of Arnon to Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Syrian, while the Amorites called it Sinir. All the cities of the Tableland and all the Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Salakah and Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, the kitty of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. All right, these are the giants. Okay. Og, the king of Bashan, was a descendant of the giants, the Rephaim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. It was not in Rabbah of the Ammonites. Nine cubits was its length and four cubits its breadth, according to the common cubit. That is one big bed. Then we took, when we took possession of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and to the Gadites the territory beginning at Arar, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, at half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, that is all the region of Argob, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh, all that portion of Bashan, which is called the land of the Rephaim, the land of the giants, all right? Ja'ar, the Massanite, took all the region of Argob, that is Bashan, as far as the border of the Gershonites and the Makarites, and called the villages after his own name, Havof Ja'ar, as it is to this day. To Makar I gave Gilead, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave the territory from Gilead, as far as the valley of Arnon, with the valley, with the middle of the valley as the border, as far as the river Jebok the border of the Ammonites. The Arabah also, with the, with the Jordan as its border, from Chinnereth, as far as the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, under the slopes of Pixgah on the east. Now the Salt Sea, that would be what it is today, the Salt Sea. And I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over, armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in the cities I have given you, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you, and they also shall occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan, that each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you today. So, all right, notice, you fight together, 
until all blessed. In other words, you don't just stop. It's one of the reasons why we pull together as all of our campuses to build main campus. We pull together as all of our campuses to build south campus. We will pull together as all of our campuses to buy land and build east campus and buy land and build and build the campus for north campus. I mean, we we all work together. We don't just say, well, ours is done, so we quit. That's, that's not a Bible principle. As I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. You shall not fear them. He said, listen, I'm bringing you into this. You shall not be afraid of them. Why? Because you're strong? No, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. And I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak of this matter again. There's some things God says, don't talk to me about it again. We've already discussed the subject. See, God doesn't change his mind. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. Now here's mercy. Now you remember what Moses did. He lost his temper because of the stubbornness of the people and he struck the rock, which was the symbol of Messiah to come. And God said, I told you not to do that. You, you, you disobeyed me publicly in front of the people. You, you did not honor me before the people. He said, so you won't enter the promised land either. But he said, I'm going to let you see it. <laughs> God is merciful. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. So leadership changes requires three things. Three things in leadership change. You charge them, you encourage them, and you strengthen them. Those three things must be done for leadership transfer. For he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So the purpose of leadership, purpose of leadership is to lead and bring people into the promises. This is why Paul said, poor yet making many rich. Paul brought, and, and Paul gave up everything for the sake of the call. He said, I know how to be, he said, I know how to have abundance. And he said, I know how to have nothing. It doesn't bother me at all. He said, it doesn't bother me. But he said, I'm poor yet making many rich. Paul understood his role as a leader was to bring people into the promises of God, people into the abundance of God. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Beulah. Chapter 4, verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules I am teaching you today, and do them. So, listen, do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, your, that the, Lord the God of your fathers, has given you. All right, so obedience 
obedience necessary for the promises. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. Okay, you don't add, nor take from it. That you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. So don't add things to what God says and don't take away from them. That's very simple. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you shall do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Keep them and do them. Keep them and do them. Why? For that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely, surely this is a great nation, is a wise and an understanding people. Now, beloved, you know, it is amazing to me how when we read the Bible and we encourage people to live what the Bible teaches, Christians complain about it. They complain about, oh, you mean I can't get rid of my wife and get a new wife every couple of years? They complain about not getting drunk. They complain about not partying. They complain about no debauchery. They complain about all these things. But God says the rest of the world will look upon us. If we will keep them and do them, people will think that we're wise. People will think that we will have great understanding. And they will say, this is a great nation that's a wise and understanding people. That, that's what people will say of Christians today. If we just stop fighting against what God asks us to do and how God asks us to live, and just begin to live it. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call upon him? Wow. That's a wow. For what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? These are, these are good laws. These are good laws. Sanitation laws, criminal laws, I mean, good laws. Only take care. Keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Keep your soul diligently. Why? Lest you forget. Now, beloved... It amazes me how many Christians forget the miracles they have seen. See, this is what he's talking to the people of Israel about. But it's amazing how many Christians, you forget the answers to prayer. You forget the miracles you have seen. So he says, he looks at us and he says, keep your heart diligently. He said, I don't want you to forget. He said, make them known to your children and to your children's children. Pass Pass on the miracle stories. Pass on the miracle stories to generations. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, so that 
They may learn to fear or respect me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. As you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom, then the Lord spoke to you. Oh, wow. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Here's another one of these theophanies. You can start making a list of theophanies. These are, this is an amazing set of, of truth here, brothers and sisters. Just Moses is sitting down saying, look at the journey we have walked together. Let's, let's remember the journey we have walked together. And a large part of that journey that he recounted was the reality of God. Now, beloved, let's remember the journey we have walked together over the last 41 years. Let's remember all the miracles, how God has provided, how God healed you, how God answered your prayer. Think, sit down and think. Keep your soul diligently lest you forget. Think about how God has always been there for you. And now, beloved, lift up your heads. He will never leave you. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. Sometimes you just need to reflect and remember. And then it builds your faith for the now. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 11. And I have to remind you, this was one of my favorite sermons in the tent, my favorite healing sermons. So afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So we have the meeting of two crowds. We have the glad crowd, and we have the sad crowd. When Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her. Now, why did Jesus have compassion on her? Well, number one, she was a widow. And number two, this was her only son. So in other words, this woman is going to be in very difficult situations now for the rest of her life. Because in that male-dominated society, it was very difficult for a woman if there was no man to represent her. So she has no husband and she has no son. Very difficult life. He had compassion on her. And he said, do not weep. Now notice. (laughs) this This is an interesting one. He addressed the emotion before the miracle. He addressed the emotion before the miracle. Now you think he would first do the miracle, then say not to weep. But sometimes he tells us to get control of our emotions before the miracle. And there's a reason for that. Emotions can destroy faith. See, emotions are not logical. Please forgive me, faith is logical. You may not think faith is logical, but faith is logical. I mean, it's logical. God made a promise. I choose to believe the promise. I ask God to fulfill his promise. That's logical. But see, when you're emotional, you're not thinking. You're just emotional. So sometimes before a miracle, sometimes before a miracle, God will address the emotions before the miracle. Then he came up and touched the bearer, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. He's the life giver. He gave this boy's life back to his mother. Fear seized all of them. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. (laughs) God has visited his people. Now, have you ever just sat down and thought about that? Miracles show the reality of God. Miracles show the reality of God. God has visited his people. When God touches and heals someone in your family, 
God has visited your home. Mm. When God touches you in that hospital room and heals your body, God has visited you. Oh. See, you, you need to think about that. You need to think about that. You know, I, I have to face the fact I should have terribly scarred lungs because I had tuberculosis severe in both of my lungs. And there's no scars there today. Every time I think about that, I realize I may not know how he did it. And I'm not even sure I know when he did it. But God visited me. Uh-huh. Now we're confronted with a God who's real. Think. I mean, just sit down and think with me this morning. Think about all the miracles you have watched God do. How he has healed your body. Healed somebody in your family. And realize, God visited us. Yeah, he did. And this report about him spread throughout the whole region of Judah and all the surrounding country. What report? A great prophet and God has visited his people. I like another translation that said, God has come to help his people. I like that. This is the report. Whenever Jesus does a miracle, you realize God has visited us. He came to help my family. <laughs> God visited me. He came to help me. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John calling two of his disciples. Now John had his own disciples. It's very interesting. This is something that you need to understand. After John, from that point forward, there's no longer disciples of Peter, disciples of James, disciples of Paul. Now it's all disciples of Jesus. See, there are no disciples of David Sumrall. There are no disciples of Young Yi Cho. There are no disciples of, of Dag Hewitt Mills. There are only disciples of Christ. But now prior to this, every rabbi had their own disciples calling two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases, plagues and evil spirits, plagues. So there were plagues in Jesus's day and Jesus healed them. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Notice many, and I say all, it says many. He bestowed sight. He gave them sight. It was a gift. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Now, what is it that they've seen and heard? Number one, the blind receive sight. Number two, the lame walk. Number three, the lepers are cleansed, number four, the deaf hear, 
Number five, the dead are raised. And number six, the poor have good news preached to them. Now, this was the proof of Messiah. This is the proof of Messiah. He said, go and tell him what you, and there's two key words here, what you have seen and what you have heard. He said, you, you need to tell them both. It's not just the miracles. The poor have the good news preached to them. The audience is also important. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, offense is a powerful word here. See, offense, offense is completely about opinion. Offense has nothing to do with sin. It's completely about opinion. This is why when people tell you that you need to discern the sins of people, you know what? Number one, there's no place in the Bible where anybody discerns the sins of other people. Okay, it's just not there. We discern demon spirits. There's a discerning of spirits referring to demon spirits. But, you know, it's, it's like years ago, back in, oh, maybe 80, 81, something like that, when I was still just a young pastor, we had a guest speaker through. And it was someone that had been booked by, by the previous pastor. They had known him. And so as the, the incoming pastor, I honored all of those bookings. And he started walking down the prayer line across the old church and started saying, God has given me the ability to discern people's sins. And he started standing in front of people and telling them what their sins were. And I walked over and took his arm and I said, stop that. All you're doing is humiliating all of these people in front of everyone. God doesn't do that. Jesus said, I didn't come into this world to condemn the world. He said, but I have a gift of discernment. I said, Discerning of demon spirits is not discerning of sin. God is not a gossip. Now, when people tell you to discern sin, you need to discern whether these people are right. What they're really telling you to do is look in your heart and see if you have any offenses. See, offenses are all about opinions. Let me say that again. Offenses are all about opinions. See if there's any grievance in your heart. See if there's any offense, something that you didn't like. That They're teaching you to be offended. And brothers and sisters, that's a sin. If we want to discern sins, there's a sin. He said, happy is the one who's not offended by me, who doesn't find all kinds of things in their personal opinions that somehow think that there's something wrong with me because I don't match their personal opinions. Now notice, he has just given proof of Messiah, and now he talks about offense. You see, people had these expectations of they thought Messiah should be like. And when people, Jesus didn't match up with those opinions, people would be offended. So Jesus said, happy is the one who's not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Now, he's validating the leader. Don't you just love how my pen sometimes erases and somehow writes, and it doesn't seem to care which? <laughs> I've tried everything, folks. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What should you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? 
What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? <laughs> yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. He said, now, you, you went out into the wilderness to see. John didn't go preach in the temple courts. You, you had to leave the convenience. If you, if you wanted a part of John's ministry, you had to leave the convenience of Jerusalem, go down that mountain, go into that horrible wasteland just before the, the Dead Sea, just before the Salt Sea. That's, that's where John lived and ministered in that very desolate area. He had to go out there. He said, you know, you didn't find John in the king's palaces. You, you found John out in the wilderness. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. These are people in the new covenant. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. They said, hey, we were a part of this. We, we went out in repentance, and the tax collectors too. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Wow. The Pharisees and the lawyers, referring to religious lawyers, rejected the purpose of God for themselves because they would not follow what God was doing now and be baptized by John. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? That would be everybody who's alive at that point. What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another. We played a flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. So what are they saying? Jesus' generation, and you can make a list of these things, all right? Jesus' generation. And it's really fascinating to think, to see all the things Jesus said about the people of his generation. He said, you want to control everyone. You want to play a flute, and you want everybody to dance. You want to sing a sad song. And you want everybody to weep. He said, you want to control everyone. And he said, in addition to that, not only do you want to control everyone, but he said, it's a game to you. All, all of this work of, of God, he said, it, it's a game to you. He said, for you, you know, let's put on a sad face. Let's put on a happy face. It's, it's, all, a, it's all an act to you. It's all a game to you. He said, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her children. So I want you to notice, Jesus would minister to the tax collectors. Now, I did not say that they were his best friends, but Jesus spent time and preach to them and minister to them. I would not say sinners were Jesus' best friends and the people he hung out with, but they were people that Jesus ministered to. Jesus did not engage the culture. 
Jesus changed the culture. Now notice, these tax collectors, let's pull this out, these tax collectors, they all have been baptized by the baptism of John. They all repented. They all changed. So Jesus hung out with people of change. Jesus spent time ministering to people of change, not to people of stubbornness, not to people of hard hearts, but to people of change. Now, there, there's a truth we could preach about for five hours, but let's get into a little bit of Proverbs today. Proverbs 15. Without counsel, plans fail. Without sitting down and seeking advice of other people. With many advisors, they succeed. Now, you, you need to get a hold of that. This is great wisdom, beloved. Some of you, you sit down, well, God spoke to me. You know, you know how I've always felt about that? Let us say that what, what God, what I believe is 100% of what God said. God said that. But by the time it leaves the throne of heaven and it gets through me, it's not going to be as accurate as when it left the throne of heaven because there's nothing perfect about my life. I'm an imperfect vessel. And so you can take perfection and pour it through imperfection and it's not going to remain perfection. So I've always felt whatever things, whatever I believe God has spoken to me to do, I want to get a bunch of people to talk about. Let's, let's talk about this. So you, you, one of our biggest groups is, is the ECS in the church. And, and folks, you should really be thankful for our Executive Council of Servants because you know what? They sit down and we work on things and we, we struggle with things and we work through things and we figure out how to do things. These people work really hard to serve God and to serve you. And our plans succeed because we have many advisors. But even then, beyond the ECS, we have little focus groups that I put together, little committees that we put together where we sit around and we talk about things. There's reasons for that. With many advisors, and you need to get a hold of this, they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. Good responses. When you have good responses for people, when you say good words to people, that's good. The path of life leads upward for the prudent. That he may turn away from Sheol, which is the grave beneath. All right. What is the path that leads upward? Prudence. Having some wisdom, prudence, the prudence, danger, and take refuge. Now, I know there's a lot of my Christian brothers and sisters around the world that fight putting on a mask and fight putting on a shield and fight social distancing. You know, I'm just not going to do that. I'm just not going to do that. You know, maybe out here in Asia, we've seen masks for years. And forgive me, we all used to kind of smile when all the Japanese would come through. And if a Japanese person even had a little bit of a cold, they always put on the mask, remember? And we would kind of smile at it. But now we're seeing there was a lot of wisdom there. There's nothing wrong with prudence, brothers and sisters. Don't ever let anybody 
you know, it's a private, I don't have to wear a mask. Or, ah, nah, nah, that's not going to be me. All right. Prudence, the path of life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from the grave beneath. Verse 25. Wow. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. A widow has no one to protect. No one to protect, but God maintains the boundaries. No one can steal her land because God maintains the boundaries. But notice the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Not, not, just, not just the person's life, the whole house, all that he has, all of his assets, those things come crashing down. Now, now this is one of the things that you just have to learn in life. And, and young people, forgive me, you haven't seen enough yet. But after you've lived a few years, one of the nice things about getting a little older, and I'm not old yet, but one of the things about getting a little older is you've watched some of this in life. And you've watched what happens to pride and arrogance. And you look around and you see God is patient at first. It starts a little slow. Businesses begin to fall apart. Business deals fall through. Assets need to be sold. Yet you begin to see it crumbling. God is patient, giving people time to repent. But if a proud person keeps their heart proud, one day you look around and the house is completely torn down. I don't ever want to be like that. <laughs> I want to humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt me in due time. That is his promise. So brothers and sisters, just humility is a choice. We've taught you a great deal about humility out of the book of Romans. Humility is a choice. Just keep your heart humble as a choice. Watch how God builds you. Now, I want to talk to you about one more thing today before we move on. Services this weekend. I know we can't have in-person services, but we can have contactless services. Now, Contactless services are services in which we do not come in contact with each other. Okay, so how do we do that? And all of our services will be carried online for you over the next few weeks. We'll have the morning devotions. We'll have the evening services. We'll have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday services. Everything will be online for you. We'll see you online. We love you. We're going to get through this, and it will be well.